So there's a South African bank that if you haven't heard of them, you've been living under a rock. They're called Time Bank, and they are so successful that they've built another bank in Indonesia, and their success in growing this kind of business means that the South African CEO, Tarek Kieran, is now moving off. He's going to live in Singapore to be able to be the group growth manager for this rapidly growing bank. So firstly, hello, Tarek. Hey, Toby. Thanks for having me on. I must say a lot of water has gone under the bridge. And and uh, since we've rekindled our relationship two minutes ago, I think you've committed me to a bunch of things, which I'm not going to do, like move to Singapore in Ari. <laughs> oh, I take that back then. I should probably say we have a, we have a mutual friend who helped you build uh, Time Bank, the, the the great Anthony Bezos. And um, I've watched you guys build this bank from an idea uh, Anthony and you and Kun Yonker, from an idea into something that has been, you know, just growing and growing and growing. And, and it's a phenomenal way of doing financial transactions in the digital world. Tell us the story. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. Eh? So, so I think you first wrote about us when we were uh, a fintech running a business to business service with, with MTN. You know, some yes, nine or ten years yes. ago. Some little thing they called MTN Mobile Money. Some little old thing. Yeah, and, and you know, the the, the the funny thing about it all is that, you know, we, we invested uh, quite a few years before MTN actually um, building what was then community banking at Standard Bank. And that's really where I and, and the rest of the team or certainly some of the core founding members cut their teeth. Um, so it, it, it's been long in the making, and I mean, there's an interesting lesson there for entrepreneurs, right? And aspiring entrepreneurs, they often look, they often look at an entrepreneur and they see the, you know, the the veneer, the superficial success, but they don't see the hard work that goes in for 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 many decades in in, in many instances. Yeah, they see the product, they don't see they don't see how hard it is to get there. This is very true. But you know, I didn't want to say this before, but and now we're recording, but. I was somewhat surprised at how much gray hair you have now. I mean, I remember you as your firebrand 20-something self. Um, <laughs> it is definitely a, a journey, isn't it? Did I just say that about you having gray hair? I'm actually in my 20s, but the reason I look this ugly and disheveled is because I've been doing digital banking for this long. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it is true because, I mean, it's been a, it's been a fascinating transition. I mean, uh, this, is a, this is a podcast series about fintech and how fintech has, has really revolutionized banking and all other financial services, hasn't it? It's, it's you know, it became, I, I look at the evolution of a bank from being something where every server was in your own building and required 18 months to make a change on the mainframe to, you know, if you're not cloud-based and you're not partnering with five other banks who do something you need to offer but do it better than you, you're not a modern bank. And in fact, the concept of a modern bank continues to evolve. You know, we, we as older people often think because we've got somewhere significant that that's the end of the destination. But actually, it's just part of the spectrum of moving. And, and it's, it's tempting to say we've done something fantastic. We've built a thing. But actually, you're continuously building a thing, certainly in the, you know, the decades that I've known you and you and your team. Yeah, you're touching on a very, very important concept here, Toby, because, I mean, if I just reflect personally on my, on my own digital banking journey, you know, it started 
around the mid-2000s when digital banking was unfashionable, right? I mean, just over the last half decade alone, you've seen a mushrooming of these neobanks and digital banks yes. and B2C fintechs um, all, over the, all over the world. Um, and, and I think it's really predicated on, on, on an evolving customer need and customers becoming a lot more digitally savvy, largely driven by, by technology. Um, in the yes. non-banking world, so the use of social media platforms, chat clients, and so on. Um, but um, so, so that's the, the sort of one driver. On the other end, you've got this um, progressive regulatory regime, which is starting to open up opportunities for non-traditional players. And I think the confluence of all of that is going to bring about what you're starting to see is a massive revolution. Right? If you look at some of the the the, the highest value um, uh, businesses over the last two years through the pandemic, they've been fintechs. Yes, you, true. You look at some of these buy now players operating out of Australasia, parts of the Baltic. Uh, um, if you look at, if you look at um, uh, Stripe's purchase of Afterpay, for example, you now have yeah. fintechs buying other fintechs for almost half a trillion rand. So, so, so this is not going to stop, especially with DeFi and decentralized ledgers and and crypto on the move, and and all the database uh, developments like like artificial intelligence. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's a it's a fascinating statistic, isn't it? Three quarters of a trillion rand, one fintech buying another fintech. That really does show the amazing evolution of what seemed maybe just five years ago, to be a, a very small segment of the market. And yet, it's anything but, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, what what's happening is that you've got a, in many markets, you've got rising penetration of mobile devices. You've got improved digital literacy. Um, you've got yes. data costs, which are dropping all the time in South Africa, not as fast, in my opinion, as they should be. I have to agree. And you've got a you've got a new young dynamic, um, youthful uh, segment which which is sick of things like exorbitant uh, interest rates and paying for a simple thing like sending money from point A to point B. I mean, if you think about just the the concept of an international transaction, I mean, like what is that? You know, these things should be, actually be seamless and frictionless. So I think these major trends are changing how we do banking and financial services forever. I agree. And I, I think the, one of the key things you, you mentioned there is the, is the tech savviness of the users and not just the young users. What, what I noticed during the, the lockdown period is that people who would normally be too afraid to try something new, older people who'd call their grandchild or, or, or you know, they, they just had no choice but to learn things for themselves. And what, what I've started to see is people doing different things that they would normally never do in the past. They've overcome that barrier of feeling stupid, not knowing enough, whatever holds us back. And in, in many ways, it's been really good for just look at e-commerce. South Africa was a country that, that failed to embrace e-commerce despite its obvious benefits. You know, two years of, of, of terrifying, will this shopping trip give me a life-threatening pandemic-causing disease? And suddenly, you know, we can't shop online enough. It's a fascinating thing for me that, that as, as people become more proficient in one thing, they become generally more proficient in everything. 
Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. There's two sort of really um, strong supply side drivers at play here. The one you mentioned, which is the sort of pandemic, just having accelerated this, what was already an organic um, yeah. uh, adoption of digital services. The other one is that um, the pace at which technology is evolving at is is so incredibly fast that developers can do a lot more uh, than what they could even two years ago or five years ago, let alone, let alone a decade ago. Give you an example of this. Cacao Bank, um, which was born out of the a massive chat client uh, in South Korea called Kakao Talk, um, they uh, were the fastest growing digital bank ever, right? So they, they broke even, I think after a week, they had a million customers signed up. After one year, they had a few million customers signed up. They broke even in, in no longer than 18 months. It's an absolutely phenomenal story. million customers in your first month. Uh, that must be terrible. It's incredible, you know. And, and, and I'm sure there are many reasons for the success. But an unassuming reason for the success is just how the developers have been able to mimic um, the UI on the banking interface. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, which is very similar to the chat interface. Yes. So customers, as they engage with chat and they see, you know, a message has been has been delivered and there's a certain protocol and visual display of that, they've managed to replicate that in the banking app. Yes. And so it creates this familiarity for customers and it just accelerates um, adoption uh, um, at a pace that we've never That's seen very before. smart. So I think those are the two supply-side dynamics at play, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's a, it's. I love the way you call it supply-side. I love I love consultant speak. I was going to say that the the the, the <laughs> what you what you're seeing there is 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 what I understand business schools will call fishing where the fish are. You know, if people are familiar with a, a WhatsApp-like chat interface, give them banking like that. That's really fantastic. Huh? That's very, very smart use of the available technology and the available skill set. You know, uh, big banks can't think like that or big business in general can't think like that. They, they have such a legacy to protect that they, they, they you know, they, they struggle to think out of the box like that. Yeah, look, I think big banks are still formidable players, right? And, and I don't think they're going anywhere for all intents and purposes. Yes. Um, but, but but they do struggle with the encumbrance of legacy. And it's not only legacy systems and old infrastructure and technology systems and branches and so on. It's also just, you know, the threat of cannibalizing your own re uh, legacy forms yeah. of income. Yeah. Yeah, because because you, you sort of get used to that drug that you've been inhaling all these all these years and that's been driving shield the value. Um but 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 then lies the opportunity for others, and I think one of the things that um, you mentioned earlier, Toby, this you know this continuous recreation, if you like, of a bank, and and I often get asked, you know, so what's our competitive advantage? And and you sort of have your you know your standard your standard three points, but but ultimately it comes down, I, I think, to two things. Yes, and the one is going to sound cliched, but but it comes from the heart and I have full conviction in it. So the first one is that we are able to continuously evolve our technology stack, our yes. data stack, and our actual operating model in how we conduct business. 
give you an example. 18 months after we were in market as a fully regulated bank in South Africa, our proposition already looked irrecognizable from what we had when we launched. And that is because at the pace at which we could respond and evolve our propositions, yeah. right? So we do between 150 and 200 fully tested, productionized code drops a month. Wow. 200 a month. I'm like, I'm not mishearing yes. you. You're absolutely right. Yes. I mean, how significant are those changes or is that not the point? The point is the nature of this ecosystem we live in now, the computer is not the box on your desk. The computer is the internet. So if it's cloud-based, you can do that and you don't have to do a, a reinstall on all your customers. As soon as they log on, that's the experience they get. Yeah, look, it's a mishmash of small deployments and major deployments, right? But but you are right. That's more of a moot point because, firstly, there's technology that enables this, right? So 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 cloud you you alluded to is one of them. Um, full elasticity both both ways and predictive capabilities there. Um, the other one is that we actually use analytical workbenches that allow us to promote and fully test bots into the environment yeah. really quickly. Okay. Right? But remember, we are a fully regulated bank that already has 5 million customers. We yes. are a scaled retail player already. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can't do things in a swashbuckling, cavalier manner. Yes. You've got to test things. You've got to make sure that you've, that, 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 that you've regression tested. And in order to do that, you still need an organization that moves fast, which brings me to my second point. Yes. Right? Around competitive advantage. It's all about culture. Of true. You know, it's that ability to stand in a corridor with one or two of your leadership team to be quickly to be discussing an issue, to agree on a solution, to make a multi-million rand decision right there, to minute the decision on your cell phone, which get logged into Confluence on the cloud with a full order trail and, and, yes. and two others yes. can approve those minutes. Yes. So you're not doing things irresponsibly. You're just moving quickly and you're moving in lockstep. You talk about this corridor warrior. I mean, I remember when Microsoft first introduced the concept way back when, when they had this, this crazy idea for a tablet computer that could be a tablet or a laptop and that everyone would make these important decisions in the corridors, which always made me thinking, why bother having offices? Why don't you just have a, like, a, like a maze of corridors and just get executives wandering around all the time so when they bump into each other, they can make important decisions? Like, Anyway, be that as it may, maybe we'll, you know, I can start my own WeWork concept of, of working. And it's true because your, the ability to move fast means that everybody in the team knows what game plan to play. I can only use rugby analogies because it's the only sport I know. But, you know, you got to know that if this guy's going to go left, you've got to break right. And in many ways, that's the way I understand your company works. I mean, the fact that the, the group CEO can step back into the South African CEO role while the South African CEO becomes the group growth officer. I mean, just, that just gives you a sense of, of you know, good businessmen create really good environments with lots of strong, smarter people around them. So um, I think that about my business. Like, well done for also hiring people smarter than you to be around you, Tariq. Yeah, it's very important, you know, and you talk about moving fast, but it's not only about speed. It's actually about responsiveness, right? Because True. gone are the days when you're trying to predict the future and you're trying to predict the responses of customers. I think it's more about setting yourself up as an organization 
to be able to respond to the future as it reveals itself to you. True. Now, if you are moving fast and you're directionless, that can plunge the entire system into chaos. Yeah. So what's even more important than moving fast and being responsive and what almost creates the enabling environment for that, the best way I can describe it is, are you laying bricks? Yeah. Or are you building a cathedral? Yeah. Right? So, so it's making sure Lovely that, analogy. That, that everyone actually knows where you're going, right? Yeah. And it's not about certainty, it's about crystal clarity and making sure that people can walk in lockstep. And that doesn't just happen because you, 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 you sort of, you say it into being. You actually, on a daily basis, you need to, you need to actually live that, right? Yeah. So, for example, eight o'clock every morning, religiously for the last four and a half years, we have a meeting, and the meeting is called the eight a.m. <laughs> right? And 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 we've we've got sixty of our call it um, technology and operations leaders in the yes. business, and each one speaks to their value stream, right? And they pull it down in real time from Slack channels. They cast these screens up. And we actually talk about how the day before just went. And Great. if there's any breakdowns in that service, we'll talk to one another. And we'll say, right, so-and-so, you need to do this. And we've learned this from this mistake. Look, yeah. we're not perfect, Toby. This thing yeah. is hard. When you're growing fast, when you're growing fast, um, you, you have to grow responsibly. And and that 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 takes a lot from you, but um, you know I'd like to believe we've got some of the salient ingredients in place that have um, that have given us the success today. I mean, I, th I I think the fact that you've had the success proves that you've had you've got those salient ingredients in place. It certainly appears like that to this lowly reporter um, over the last decade or a half or so. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's true. You know, the 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 you talk about being in lockstep, and, and that's in many ways a problem for so many companies and countries. You know, in South Africa, no ministries walk in lockstep. You know, no, everyone's so misaligned um, within a giant bank that has retail clients, corporate investment clients, home loans, you know, agriculture. You know, the, the, there's so many different things to keep your eye on that it, it does make it quite difficult to to kind of have everybody moving in the same direction. I suppose that's that's part of what, without discounting what a big bank does. I mean, I have my home loan with a big bank. You know, that's, that's call me call me strange and old fashioned, but or traditional and old fashioned. You know, I, you know they're not going to they're not going to go out of business anytime soon. Whereas, you know, a, a short-term service, I'm very happy to try a new fintech player. But I, I suppose it, it really just points to this, this idea that the modern bank is constantly evolving. That's what the modern bank is. It's the ability to evolve, like you say, and do 200 software iterations a month. Um, that's what the modern bank does look like. Yeah, and look, I mean, the risk of becoming too ideological um, on this podcast, I, I think it comes down to intent. That's the essence yeah. of, what you, of what you're trying to create culturally in an organization. And what do I mean by intent? Well, for example, if your intent is to progress self at the expense of other, uh, other being the collective good, the well-being of those around you, well, you will have a very short um, uh, lifespan in, in, in our business, right? And in many other purpose 
uh, lead businesses. Yeah. I think in large corporations and, you know, is that you've got many human beings working there. You know, in our organization, you have 300, you know, you have 30,000 people working at these other organizations. And I think it's very difficult despite best efforts to, to, to sort of drive the single intent, you know, what's in the heart, you know, um, gets manifested in, in, in what or personified by the business. It's tough. And, and I think that, that having founders in the business is really important. If you look at Agreed. some of the, 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 the corporate success stories, you know them all in this country, you know, that the founders are still involved. Um, but I also think in our organization, keeping the headcount low, in addition to just being a digital bank, and that's what you do because you drive a lot yeah. of things through automation, it you just you just able to so much an easier manner to maintain that culture. What I loved about that was you don't hear many bankers talking about from the heart <laughs> as part of your core, you know, understanding or ideological understanding of your business. That's pretty cool in of itself. That gives you a, a sense of how it is. Having founders involved really is important because. Even though you've had this success, the picture you're looking at is much more success. Five million monthly bankers is a big deal, but you're looking for 50 million and you're looking in, you know, the hardest markets in the world. That's pretty gangster. Well done. Yeah, you know, I I, I wish you could control the pace, right? Um, but 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 this is the, the key difference in, in how a digital bank grows to a, to an old bank. Yeah. Right? So in an old bank, you go branch to branch, right? And, and you make sure that each branch is profitable and washing its own face. And then you go to the next one. Yes. And it takes a long time and so on and so forth. In a digital bank, what happens is two things. The one is you've already set up for scale from day one. Yeah. Right? You've got the platform cost. Yes, there's some elasticity. In our case, we've got a hybrid model. So we're not digital only because we don't want to build a niche business. We want to yeah. build a scale business yeah. that brings about systemic reform to the financial services fraternity. So what happens is you've got this fixed cost and you now do, you need to hurdle that cost, right? And the more customers you can put on there that are actively engaged, um, the the better the unit economics look and, 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 and the quicker you can, you can break over that cost base. So that's the one thing. Yes. And what happens is as you expand from country to country, now all the successful digital banks are doing this, right? Yes. What happens is you don't only reduce the entire cost base, right, of the of the of the technology layer, but you actually reduce the cost base of time bank in South Africa as well. Yes, yes. So it works across the board. Exactly. The second thing is that the commercial lessons you learn through digital technology are invaluable. And so give you an example, the application of Forms of artificial intelligence, and I'm very careful with my selection of words because I think we just throw this AI thing around like, yes. like the little smarties, right? Forms of artificial intelligence to nudge customer adoption and behavior, right? Those lessons, that's like a big statement that I just made, right? But there are a thousand little lessons underneath that thing, underneath that statement that we've learned and that we are still learning that allows us to accelerate revenue generation in the new countries. So when you combine those two sort of dynamics, it becomes very difficult um, to resist growth. But obviously, you've got to do it in a measured and, and responsible way. Absolutely. You want to overcook yourself. You know, you want to 
you want to be able to deliver. I mean, if you go down for six hours on a Saturday morning, nobody's going to trust you, are they? Yeah, you know, I, you know, my sympathies go out there. I, I, um, and it happens. It happens to everyone, right? Um, it, 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 it does happen, and when it happens, you know, the customers are at pains, right? I mean, that morning that you, I think you're referring to, I mean, I couldn't get my Saturday KFC anyway, because <laughs> in my precinct, four KFCs were closed. You know? I'm sorry for laughing, but and I'm sorry for the KFCs, but this is, you know, this just shows you, to my mind, how interconnected and, and technically... I suppose vulnerable the world is. You know, if Gmail goes down or AWS goes down, it, it, it affects a lot of downstream customers. So I can speak consultant too. Yeah, there, there was another luminary that um, that that told me this. The, the three most important things are banking are uptime, uptime, and uptime. Yes, true. Tariq, this has been a fantastic uh, interview. But before we go, I just want to circle back to to one of the things that I always thought was so brilliant about Time Bank that you partnered with retail supermarket chains because you don't have to build out your branch infrastructure; they've already got one, and you're piggybacking on 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 their bricks and mortar stores to get to very grateful participants. Yeah, that's that's quite central to our model, and it doesn't have to be retail chains. The re- the reason it's retail chains in South Africa is because we still have the most concentrated, certainly grocery retail, uh, in the world. So that makes sense in South Africa, um, and we do it for a few reasons. The one is, um, let me first say, at the heart of it all is ushering customers from the physical world into the digital world in an environment that they're comfortable at. So we yeah. can onboard customers at our kiosk, you know that, and you can facilitate deposits and withdrawals in real time at those toll points at ultra low cost. I went into a, a pick and pay to do exactly that, open an account, add in a branch to experience the experience. And I thought it was really pretty slick. I'm glad you had a good experience, but if you had a bad experience, you should also just message me. Um, <laughs> and, and and so that's the one side of it is really around distribution. The other side of it is is... Um, is data, right? So so in the case of pick and pay, um, you know, they've got smart shopper data, which is incredibly valuable for us. We can we can ascertain certain things about customers that others can't, particularly when we augment that with more traditional forms of um, credit bureau data and so on. Um, so we can lend to customers that traditionally would not be able to lend to responsibly. Yeah. Um, so that's the one thing. And in the case of TFG, um, the Foschini Group, um, which is a massive, um, yes, yes. diversified um, fashion fashion retailer, they've got um, over 25 million um, loyalty customers, uh, at least 12 million of which are active with very um, extensive uh, uh, credit records, right? So, so that also creates um, significant opportunities. So yeah. I think retailers in South Africa are, are important, but we've also replicated and ruggedized that kiosk technology to go outside of retailers. So, for example, we distributed SASA um, uh, grant offices using a mobile version of our, our kiosk, which is ruggedized and souped up. Great. We, we use it to distribute through the Zion Christian Church as well which is over 10 million um, yes. uh, members uh, in South Africa alone. When I, when I saw that tie-up, I thought, you guys are really smart. That is, that is brilliant 
marketing and technology to provide something that people really need. Like anything in life, you need a bit of luck as well. Um, I think we've had some bad luck on the implementation because of COVID, but um, I'm hoping that we're coming towards the end of that and that we can start scaling it up. Well, Tarek, what can I say? I wish you good luck. Um, I hope to speak to you in a couple more years, hopefully not as long as the last uh, period. Uh, hopefully no more pandemics will get in the way of of. Uh, us speaking and you building your business and I and I wish you good luck whether you move to Singapore or not. Um, thanks for being with us. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. Always a pleasure talking. Thanks, Toby. Thank you. My name is Toby Shapshak. You've been listening to T2S2 and yes, it is a reference to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy H2G2. Our Executive Director is Sally Hudson. Our Director of Audio is Hans Baumgarten. And you can read more on stuff.co.za. Please do like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help. Cheers. 